The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Have you seen him? I don't know if you saw it on your news feed all this weekend. For thousands of years now, people are saying God's coming back, Jesus is coming back. And we have heard, maybe it's on the dark web, maybe nothing you ever go to, that Jesus has actually come back and we sent out CNN to capture footage of it. Crosspoint News Network. What Grant just read for us is the story of what the Bible sometimes calls, theologians call judgment day. The day when God's going to come back and he's going to set everything right in the world. And he uses this, uh, this idea of, uh, of a shepherd separating his flock out. The, the sheep and the goats, they would do that for different reasons back then to separate the sheep out. He says, God's going to come back someday and separate the righteous from the unrighteous. The wicked from the holy is going to have, there'd be a big dividing line coming out that. And whenever that comes up, we did a series on this, uh, gosh, about a year ago now, through the book of Revelation. We just want to know what time and when and how is it going to happen. And God goes, that's not the point. The point is not about when and where and how it happens. The point is, get ready. Be ready for it. He tells some stories before this about getting ready for a wedding party and make sure you got the light, lamps lit. Now the story about God entrusts his resources into people's hands like a king would or like an owner of a company would into his managers while he goes away on a long trip. He says, I'm coming back someday. I want to find out how you did with all of that. And then here he talks about this sheep and the goats. And the big thing is what, what makes a person righteous or wicked? The question on judgment day for you and for me, no matter what your journey has been in terms of spirituality and God and church and all that stuff, here's the question. Write it down today is this. What did I do about Jesus? That is the only thing that will matter on Judgment Day is what I did about Jesus. Now, what I did about Jesus has kind of two factors to it. The first one is what did I do about Jesus when it came to my sin and my salvation? The Bible is going to make it very, very clear for us that you are born to this world as a person separated from God. We are not all God's children in that sense of that. Well, in some sense, we are kind of God's children because God we're responsible to him and he's like the father of us all. But no. We're not all born. We're born as rebels. We're not born as members of God's family. We need somebody to make that right. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago and did that, lived and died and rose again to set things straight for us, to get us back on track. And the only hope you have to deal with your sin and your rebellion and salvation is what Jesus did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. Not one thing that you ever did in your life is going to qualify you to make things right with God. If you're not yet a Christian, I want to talk to you about that. On the connection card, Grant, just talk to, if it had you fill out. I encourage you, jot us a note about that. Maybe you're going, I'm not sure what this means today. I have some questions about what it means to be a Christian and all that. We'd want to talk to you about that. Also, come back next week. I think it's episode five of our What If series. And the big question next week, you'll see at the bottom of your note sheet there, the verses to look at every week that'll get you prepared for it is what if Jesus was actually right when he said, I have the way. I found the way for you. You don't have to guess and wonder, oh, well, what about this way? What about that pathway? What about, no, Jesus goes, I've got the way for you. It's fantastic good news. So read ahead on that. 
So what did I do about Jesus when it came to my sin and my salvation? Second part about sin and salvation, uh, beyond just getting right with God, that oftentimes in the evangelical world, we're kind of part of that big evangelical tribe, we tend to think about Jesus, okay, you're sinners, separated from God, you better get saved, get right with God, or you're going to hell. I think that's all we have to think about Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear and tells his story. What did I do about Jesus? It's not about just sin and salvation. It's all about two. Second thing there is, what did I do about Jesus when he actually showed up in my life? When he actually shows up in my life. And he's going to tell us here in this story that Jesus shows up all the time. Now, he, he tells this story where he's going to say, look, what you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, these vulnerable people, you did to me. Now, you want to read the more sobering part, the one that's like, ooh, gulp. Read the rest of the story because he says, what you didn't do to me when I showed up, when I was hungry and thirsty, when I needed clothes, when I needed someone to, I was sick or in prison, needed something, and you didn't do it. He said, you didn't do it to me and done with you. Jesus is telling us here very, very clearly that vulnerable people matter huge to God, huge to him. And that's where Jesus is showing up. And so when you... When you sponsor a compassion child, when you help people who are sick, when you uh, give some money to different organizations, Jesus is making very clear to us today, you are not ultimately giving it to that ministry. You're not ultimately giving it, hey, say here, Juan's here struggling or Mike over here struggling. You're not giving, giving it ultimately, you know who you're giving it to? You're giving it to Jesus. Jesus says, I take vulnerable people literally very personally. This is, this is personal to me. And it's not personal like I care about them and so I feel that pain. He says, no, that was me right there when you rejected me or when you helped me. I'm keeping track of that. It's a big, big, big honking deal to him. In the book, you got your Bibles out today. If you have a Bible and don't bring it, that's dumb. Bring your Bible if you have one. Sorry. That was not wise. It's fall. It's pumpkin spice latte time, right? So we can. Yeah. Oh. In the book, almost in the very, very beginning, God makes it clear how we're to treat poor people. In the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, over and over again, he's going to tell people, hey, watch out for people. He's going to tell us this. Back in an agricultural society, when they would harvest their fields, he's going to say this, hey, when you harvest the fields, don't just consume it all for yourself. Leave the margins there. Create some margin so you can help poor people who don't have fields, who don't have the ability to feed their families on their own. And he gives them strong warnings. If you, don't, if you do this right, there's reward. If you don't do this right, you're going to be cursed. I'm coming for you. It's not just, well, we just got too busy. We couldn't do it. In the book of Jeremiah, we're going to be there first. If you go to the book of Psalms in the Bible, if you open the Bible to the middle, Psalm, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and there's Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 22 talks about this. This is what the Lord says. This is not Jeremiah going, well, I'm a prophet, I'm a pastor, so I'm telling you what I, my opinion is. No, he said, God, God explicitly is telling us something here. Do what's right. Help those who've been robbed, who've been victimized. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. He's saying, this matters. God says, huge to me. In the book uh, 
of Zechariah and Malachi. There's verses there on your note sheet. We're not going to look at all of them today. We'd be here too long. But over and over again, God sends prophets, pastors, and priests to tell his people, hey, did I stutter? Did I stutter when I talked about how you treat poor people and vulnerable people? Because clearly you think I didn't mean it. And so he warns them over and over again. In the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, it's in chapter 16, verse 39. He says, look, you, you're God's people, the chosen people of God. He says, you're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And I judge those people for their sin. Now, those of you who grew up going to church, and those of you that are fairly conservative in your views on sexuality, believe, know that in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was absolute horrifying sexual immorality going on in that city. Everybody thinks that's why God rained down fire from heaven and <laughs> obliterated the city. And Ezekiel makes it very clear. God makes it very clear. That was not the only thing. In Ezekiel, he tells them, Sodom and Gomorrah's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor suffered. So they're indulging themselves in luxury. And there's all kinds of people in, in, their, in their city and their, in their community that are suffering. And you want to read a fun verse. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, I, I don't make this stuff up. It's just in the Bible. Amos chapter 4, verse 1. God calls the women of Israel a bunch of fat cows. I'm not making that up. You know why he says? Because you're sitting here guzzling on your wine. It's every day, of the, every hour of the day is wine o'clock for you. Just wine, do, do all that kind of stuff. Out there at happy hour and then last call. And you're, guzzling, you're indulging yourself in luxury and people are suffering. He says, knock it off. In, in the book of, of Deuteronomy, back towards the beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 15. In Deuteronomy 15, God lays this out very, very clearly for them and for us. Look at verse 7. But if... There are any poor Israelites in your towns. If there are any poor Temeculans in your towns, when you arrive in the land your Lord God's giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Even if it's their stinking fault that they're poor. Instead, be generous and help them and lend them whatever they need. You look down at verse 10 now, he says, Give generously the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor, no matter how great the economy is doing, no matter what kind of house you live in, no matter what, uh, what, some of you showed up today, I saw your coffees, I must cost $15 at Starbucks to get that coffee now. There's always poor people in land. He's not even saying it's wrong to do, just don't neglect the poor, he says. I'm commanding you, he says, to share freely with the poor and other Israelites, other of God's people who are in need. In uh, the book of Psalms, it's the book in the middle of your Bible, uh, over and over again in the book of Psalms, the, these Psalms are songs of worship to God, and yet I didn't, I didn't count them all up. You can Google it yourself uh, on, on a Bible word search thing. Just go to Bible Gateway and Google all the Psalms that talk about poor orphans and widows. I think there's 70 or 80 different verses in there that talk about this. In Psalm 82, I think this will be up on the screen for you as well, but find it in your own Bible too. Psalm 82, look at verse 3. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. 
When we talk about orphans today, that's clearly people whose parents have died, but then we could widen this out to people who are foster kids, people whose parents aren't around any longer is what he's talking about here, to the orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. A few uh, psalms back, Psalm 41. In Psalm 41, it says this way. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they're in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. He's making it a command, not like, hey, we sometimes think, well, if I rescue the poor, I'm going to have less. He goes, no, you rescue the poor. God's going to bless you like crazy because God's God's saying, look, these vulnerable people, vulnerable people matter huge to me. So when I give you my resources for your life and you take some of those resources and bless other people, guess what I'm going to give you more of? Resources. Because you're stewarding it well. You're helping people who really, really need it. The book of Proverbs is the next book in your Bible. A quick little fly-by survey here as we go through this. Um, when we read the book of Proverbs, it's helpful. I would encourage you guys to read it all the time. Read a proverb a day, matching the day of the month. Uh, powerful stuff in there on leadership, on money, on sexuality, on laziness, on conflict. Great stuff in there. But the primary, the first audience that Solomon's putting this down for was not just the general folks out there in the crowd. You know who it was for? The next kings. He was writing it to his sons who he knew would be the next kings. Now, we know about Solomon that uh, the height of power and finance in Israel was when Solomon was in charge. So he knows his sons are going to have access to almost unrestricted power and unlimited wealth. And he tells them, when you get there, don't forget this. And there's all kinds of verses in Proverbs about this. In, uh, in, in Proverbs 14, 21 and 31, he says, you've helped the poor, you honor God. Proverbs 29 That'll be up on the screen. Proverbs 29, verse 7 says it this way. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse... Oh, no, I'm sorry, not 31. 31, verse 9, yeah. 31, verse 9 says, Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. This is written to people who have power. And have nobody speak up for them. He says, look, a guy's saying, I'm paying attention to that. How are you helping people who don't have access to money or power? What are you doing when you have it to help them? In Proverbs 19, 17, he makes it, it gives us the promise again. Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. You're not just lending to the poor, that person. God says, look, that's me you're helping when you help them. That's not just me. Again, God goes, look, you're helping them. And what you've done is you've just kind of put me in your debt a little bit because you lent that to me. I don't know if you know this about God, but his ROI is crazy amazing. He said there's eternal reward for that that nothing in our society, in our culture, in our world is going to touch when it comes to that. And then one of the classic verses in this comes all the way over in the book of James. The book of James. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's how we treat the poor people matters huge to God. Matthew 10, 42. In Matthew 10, 42, it says here, and if you give 
even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you'll surely be rewarded. We hear about problems in the world and think, oh my gosh, we've got to go raise thousands of dollars and go dig wells in Africa or in Asia or places where there's absolute poverty. And certainly we ought to be doing that kind of thing. Jesus says, hey, slow down a little bit. If you can't dig a well, you can't give a cup of water to somebody. I can't go feed all the poor, but can I go give them 10 bucks to go buy a meal over at McDonald's? Well, 10 bucks by half a meal at McDonald's anymore. But you can do a little bit. You can do something. Even he says, look, I'm paying attention to that. That's going to have a reward. And then I love this verse too here, Matthew 18. I'm talking about vulnerable people. Back in that culture, children in that culture were to be seen and not heard and usually not even seen. Kids were barely more than property. They were barely more like, hey, you had kids because you needed somebody to take care of you when you got old. Kids were like, in our world, because the trajectory of what Jesus did here for the last 2,000 years has shifted how we've viewed children. Children don't have this big problem anymore, like being, being marginalized, being pushed off to the side. But back then they did, and Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verse 5. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Over and over again, you know, the other stories in the Bible where huh, the adults are all coming to Jesus. All the people with money and resources and maturity who could understand the Bible and new doctrine and theology, they come to Jesus. And they were all telling us, the children came to Jesus, kids, get out of here. Jesus, just stop that. You guys all clear out. Let the little children come to me. The kingdom belongs to these children. So guys, when you help a child, when you serve a child, you're serving God. I got a couple of people, kids are gonna come over and help me with them right now. Sadie, come on up. This is Sadie. Sadie, how old are you? 11 years old? Come and sit around here, right, Rhett? Awesome, glad you're here. This is Tyler. He, this is his boy, Rhett. When, when you help kids, when you volunteer and serve in our children's ministry, you are not just helping Cross Point Church pull off a weekend service because these people bring their kids. And you're not even ultimately serving Josh and Tiffany. Tyler and Katie, you're not even ultimately serving them. You know you're, you're, not, you're not even even serving Sadie and Rhett. You know who you're serving? You know who this is right here? This is Jesus that you're serving. The most vulnerable people out there, you're serving them. Give them a hand as they go back to their seats. Thank you, guys. So if you're here today and you're not yet jumping anywhere at our church, serving anywhere, especially at a weekend service, we need your help, and we don't just need your help because we got all these kids showing up, and what are we going to do to help them? You need to help because think about this. Jesus says, little kids, you know who that is you're serving right there? That's me sitting there. And think about the privilege of standing before Jesus someday and go, thanks, Juan. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, Kelly, for jumping in there with those third and fourth grade kids, those middle school kids, because that wasn't them you helped. That was me. 
Now, I also got to tell you, too, sometimes um, when you help people who need help and you help our children, some of them act like Jesus and some of them act like the devil. <laughs> so, <laughs> vulnerable people that we see here. He talks about people in, the, in these verses here, hungry, thirsty, uh, stuff like that. People who lack Jesus sightings. We've, you've seen some pictures up here. We've already shown you. We're real quick on this. People who lack basic human necessities, basic food needs, clothing. Some of that is obviously homeless people that, that need help here and there. Um, we do a thing every year where we help kids all over the world with a ministry called Compassion Ministries where we adopt children. So a bunch of you already have a child or two or four that you've adopted. Um, if our house manager shares some of the house, it's, I'm seeing people fan like this. It's a little stuffy. So if somebody can check that for me, and maybe it's just me getting hot up here, but I'm seeing fans like this, so let's take care of that. Thank you. I got, you I, I'm not that interesting. If you get too warm and cozy, you're just going to fall asleep, so I want to keep you awake. Um, so compassion kids. And then he talks here about people who are, are widows. And the idea here is single moms and dads. Single moms and dads who need some help. And sometimes that's financial help they need. Um, I've, I've talked to single parents, though, too, who they're, they're single. And the truth is they have, they have money. They're not crazy wealthy. Their biggest problem is sometimes not that they need money for stuff. They can get that out there. What they need is just a, a, a break from their kids to breathe especially people who have special needs kids. And we have a bunch of families here at Crosspoint who have special needs kids where it's just, it's over, you think your kids are overwhelming. Think about a child now who at 17, 19, 29, 39, you have to care for them like they're like a 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old. You got to help them. So it's showing up and it's, it's helping. It's just jumping in, jumping in, helping people that are single uh, parents with their kids. Uh, it's, it's, he talks about orphans. We can widen that out today, not just to people whose parents have died, but oftentimes, in some cases, uh, kids who've been part of, like, their families got divorced, and one of the parents just left, and, like, how that feels to that child. We also have Riverside County probably has, I think, the highest number of kids stuck in our foster care system in the country. So what do we do about that? Some of you have done that here. And some of you have taken on that challenge. And what's crazy about foster kids is that once in a while you get this amazing story. And that's the ones they show in the commercials. They welcome their home. And it was beautiful and awesome. And we danced. And it was awesome. And it, all this kind of stuff. And then you actually have those ch that child in your home and go, they didn't tell me. But sometimes kids who have been abandoned or taken away from mom and dad, there's trauma that comes with that. And then you get to unload all that with them. It wasn't your fault at all. This is what Jesus calls us to do, the most vulnerable people amongst us. We, we get in there and we help them. He also talks, though, about people that are sick and in prison. Talking about sick people, the culture back then, if you were wealthy and had money, you could get help from a doctor. But that was 3% of the population. You know what happened if you got sick when you were not part of that, the rich population? If you were just... They didn't have middle class back then. It was the lower class, everybody like here, middle class up here. You hoped you could last it out. 
little medicine available for you. You hoped it would go well. And then imagine when an epidemic comes in or a pandemic kind of thing blitzes through. And, and they know, um, and looking at this back then, back then it was like, oh, well, there was almost like the sense of the, the, the Greek and Roman gods of fatalism. Just like, well, karma, you must have done something. He was even in the Jewish culture. Remember the book of John, in John chapter 9, they asked Jesus, this guy that was born blind, what did he do? Or his parents do to cause this. And Jesus goes, they didn't do anything. It's a broken world that we live in. And they just kind of thought, well, you just kind of take it and sucks to be you, dude. Christians come along. Jesus tells these kinds of stories. Other places in the Bible starts to impact the culture. And in the Roman Empire, when pandemics would go through places and plagues would go through places, what happened is most of the people, even people who have minimal resources, would just leave the city you know who stayed to take care of people who were sick and dying? The Christians did. You know why? Because Jesus told us to. And what's crazy about that, it says even at the risk of their own lives, they would do this. There are stories of people who gave, recognized, I'm going to get sick. I might die from this, but I'm, I'm serving Jesus, not my culture, not my city, not even any of these people here. So they would sit there, and sometimes they would get sick, and some, some of them even died. But they also discovered this. You can read about this. I did all kinds of research this this, this week. I'm not going to read you the whole big, long article on it. What they discovered in this is it was kind of crazy. The people that the Christians helped, more of them survived and lived than people who just scattered and left. You know why? Because they got help. And they said, look, even simple things like food and water, not even like crazy medicine and like having to get to go to the doctor to get a prescription, just basic food and water got, kept their strength up and people weren't so panicked about, oh, I could get this too. They stayed with them and, and they helped them and things turned around like crazy. And in fact, there's letters from not Christian historians back then that talk about these, like there was miracles that were happening and maybe there were miracles. You know what the miracle might've been? They stayed right there with them. Just stayed right there with them and helped them. And as I said, right there with them and helped them, it was crazy the number of Christians that got better because they were helping each other and how that then filtered out to the other non-believers yet. He said, it's crazy. They, they don't just help each other. They help us as well, which is just crazy because back in that culture, you didn't do that. You helped your people. You didn't help other people. In the, um, the fourth century, the emperor of Rome, Julian was his name, uh, writes a letter he talks about this. He's trying to, what's happening here is Christianity by the third and fourth century has gained such a foothold in the Roman Empire, they're going, wait a minute, our temples are being abandoned and nobody cares because at some point, nearly half of the Roman Empire citizens are becoming Christians, followers of Christ. And the emperor's going, we want, rain this in, something controversial, I don't want to blunt this here. We want to make Rome be awesome and fantastic, so we got to restore our gods and our temples. And so he's encouraged. He writes a letter. He says this. He exhorted the pagan priesthood to compete with Christian charities. He says, these Christian charities are kicking our butts. He urges the distribution of grain and wine to the poor, noting that these impious Christians, they called it impious because they didn't believe in the Zeus and Mars and Apollo and Athena and all that. They believed in Jesus who got crucified on one of their crosses. These impious Galileans, in addition to their own, support us, support ours, 
And it's shameful that our poor should be wanting our aid. Like, these are our people, people that believe in Zeus and whatever. They don't even believe it. These pagan people, these Christians out there, are helping people that don't even believe in their God, and they're getting better. And he encouraged them, let's compete with them. What, what happened here is Christianity was changing the world. Because looking around going, dang, look, these Christians are crazy a little bit. But look what happens when you actually follow what Jesus says. And so uh, they, they, they do that there. He also talks about uh, that you, you visit people who are sick and in prison. And certainly you saw a little shot up there of people in prison. I've got over the years now, I've had people in prison that I write letters to here and there. Uh, just helping them out. Just a simple letter. Um, sometimes, too, people who are in prison is not necessarily prisons of bars around them, but the elderly, people that are, that are old that can't take care of themselves anymore, and sometimes their families aren't around anymore, and they just sit in a bed all day long. They have no one there for them. He goes, you went to that prison, and you visited. You just hung out with them. And you know what Jesus says here in Matthew? He doesn't say they were sick and in prison and you help cure them, you help get them out of prison. You know what he says? You just went and sat with them. You just visited with them. Sometimes that's all people need. Is just sit with me. Just sit here with me. Whether you're going to give me any money or go start a charity or go start a ministry to get people out of poverty or get people out of all this victims of injustice, nothing wrong with that. Jesus says, would you just go sit with them? Just sit with them and talk with them. Whether you give them anything or not. And then he also talks about the idea of um, strangers. You invited strangers in. Strangers, people you don't know. Back in that culture, there was not Airbnb, VRBO, or hotels everywhere. So people would travel around and they needed a place to stay. He said, hey, Christians, here's a chance. When these people show up in your town, they need a place to stay, welcome them to your home. That would be what happened back then. Now, that doesn't happen in our culture anymore. But you know what happens in our culture? People don't necessarily need a place to come and stay in our house but they are moving into our neighborhoods. When they move into our neighborhoods, you know who should be the first at their door? You, with pizza and some beverages. Coke if you're Baptist, beer if you're Presbyterian, you know. <laughs> with that, just say, welcome, we're so glad you're, you, you just introduced, what do you need? Can we help you with anything? Simple things like that, just welcoming a stranger in. Uh, we do that here at, at Crosspoint with uh, our, we have our small groups, 90% of you are in one of our groups that meet at homes. And some of you are hosts and leaders. What, what, a, what a group's all about, especially at the beginning, is a group, when you invite, open up your home, is you're inviting your home and you're welcoming in strangers. You don't know these people yet. And the goal of this is to turn people who are strangers into friends and friends into family. And gosh, this happens all the time here, that kind of thing. So just keep doing that kind of thing. Because what, what it means, though, because groups are just getting, what, what, week three now? Week, whatever we're at. We're, we're second, third? I've lost track. Um, what it means is that when they show up in our house, we push back seats from the table and we let them sit right at the table with us. We don't have inside jokes. We don't have little clicks. Make sure they get included. It's why we do all kinds of stuff there to make sure newer people, strangers, are made to feel welcome. Now, one quick disclaimer on this. Uh, one of the things I know about strangers is strangers are strange sometimes. You know that is, right? You invite people into your world, your life, your neighborhood, your small group. Almost every group I've ever been part of has at least one stranger. You're going, there's no strangers in our group. You know what? <laughs> it might be you. I don't know. 
That's the Jesus sightings out there. And again, what Jesus makes the point here in Matthew, tells this story, he says when Jesus shows up in our world today is, most of the time you're not going to recognize him. You won't even know he was there. So how do we react and respond to this? This call to let's get out there and make a difference in the world and take care of people who are poor and, and, and the most vulnerable amongst us. Three basic responses. The first one is we can get overwhelmed. When we get overwhelmed, you know what happens when people get overwhelmed? They do something about it. Cheryl Inswa, who's part of our church, I think she might be on a plane back to Kenya or she's leaving soon. Here again. We were in uh, Kenya years ago on a missions thing with, with Crosspoint here. And she was at the hotel and saw these kids, and not the cute little ones they put on their brochures, but the sketchy street kids. Fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth grade boys mainly out there. We're gonna do something about this. And so now she's taken, she retired from being a teacher a few years ago, but for the last 10, 12 years, she spends a big part of her summers, and now she spends probably half of the year over there helping get kids off the streets, back into homes, back into places where they can be fed and cared for, ultimately reuniting with their families. Compassion ministries, world vision, those kind of places. You know how those things started? One guy, one woman saw that goes, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to do something crazy here to see what happens. We can enlist God's people to get involved in this. And so we do do a lot of things. Sometimes people do crazy stuff to make a difference. But sometimes when you look at the needs out there, you can be overwhelmed and think, you ever seen that rabbit on the road do that to you? As the car is hurling, it just feels so overwhelming. You get paralyzed. You think, I, I, I can't do anything. I don't, know what, I don't know what to do here. Sometimes that being overwhelmed and doing nothing leads to indifference. If we look around at the world right now and go, look, Steve, I got my own problems. I'm barely making it right now. I'm making my house payment, paying insurance. Have you seen the price of gas? What can we do to help? And so it's like, not my problems, not my monkeys, not my circus. That's their deal. Kind of just a casual indifference towards them. And then sometimes what we'll do is being indifferent will lead us to deflect the problem. Go, okay, yeah, I know there's a problem out there. And this is one that all the Republicans, well, actually everybody says it now. Um, we are all one part of big, one big tribe in America. The, the, the response here about poverty is, well, that's why we pay taxes. It's the government's problem to solve that. Opinion poll today. Besides... Establishing freedom, besides our military, killing people and breaking things and establishing freedom in places like that. Has the government ever been good at anything? <laughs> Not really. You know who's better at it? People like you and I get out there and do it. Now, the truth is governments can do a lot of good things. But the, but the truth is if we're leaving to pay taxes to the government, it creates a lot of bureaucracy. Or if we just turn ourselves loose, we get there. And then sometimes too we'll say is, yeah, but Steve, if we help them, we've helped them over and over again, these are their problems. They made this mess. They're never going to learn if we keep jumping in and, and, and softening the blow and not letting feel the consequences of their actions. And the Bible certainly talks about this. It warns against too much help. Proverbs 10.4 says, people, over and over again, Proverbs says, in Proverbs 10.4 it says, lazy people will end in poverty. And it's not the God's curse because you were lazy. It's like you don't work. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 Christians, these people were coming into churches becoming Christians, and some of them were just being lazy slobs. They became a Christian because they get free help. And Paul says, no, no, no. If a person's not going to work, they're not going to eat. Now, that's refusing to work, not that they can't work. Not when they got a significant problem, we should help them. The people who refuse to work shouldn't eat. And so how much should we help? 
It's tricky because I read a book years ago called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes we can have misguided compassion and we can, we can go too much. And so we need to do what Jesus says to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And one quick analogy I want to give you with that is this. Is it over here? Imagine you're in a big pool right now. The generosity pool or whatever. Over here, over here is the side of, we're not going to do anything. We're going to hang on to the edge over here because their problems. They made that mess. Life has to just work it out. We're, going to, we're not going to do, we're going to help way too little. Over here on this side of the pool, we're going to help too much. We're going to do too much. What I want to tell you today, so I think the scriptures tell us to do, if we're going to make a mistake, let's be on this side of the pool. Which means from time to time, you're going to help people and they're going to use and abuse that help. Oh, they're going to come back again four weeks later or four months later and ask for more help because they didn't use it right or they indulged in it. You're going to give somebody some money to help with something and they're going to use that for something that's destructive and not helpful. And at the end of the day, Jesus is going to make it very clear whether it's their fault or not, help them. And whether or not they're stupid with it and unwise with it, help them. If you're going to make a mistake, let's not be over here going, well, it's their own dang fault. That's how to be a good Christian. It's your own dang fault. Be over here on the side of maybe a little too generous from time to time. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And I heard a guy say this years ago, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can look out there and go, what, what's my little bit going to make a difference for? You guys, Jesus says, look, a cup of water for one dude in my name. Is, is powerful and beautiful. So do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So getting real practical with, with this for us today. We don't want to be people that deflect it. We don't want people that are indifferent to it. We don't want people just overwhelmed. Uh, it's the idea of let's go. Some practical ways we're encouraging you guys to be involved as a church. And as I give these to you today, I feel like most of us are doing this at some level. So this today should be very, very encouraging for you. I, for a few of you, you need to hear like, hey, I've been a little too about this. But for some of us, most of us probably, just be genuinely encouraged by, about this. Things like uh, the first way to get involved with this is mercy ministries. Places that help people with practical needs. We talked about compassion ministry. And next year in the spring, uh, along the chair rail of the room here, we're going to have probably 70 or 80 different kids uh, from uh, Ecuador and Guatemala and places like that. And you're going to get a chance to adopt one of those kids and bring them into your life. And for $43 a month, Feed them, clothe them, educate them, get them medicine when they get sick. 43 bucks a month. Be part of that. We encourage you. Some of you already do that. Encourage you to do that more and more. Talked about Cheryl Inswa. She's done this. Started this ministry called Street Hope Kenya. Some of you give to her what she does here. Some of what we give here when you just give to generally to our giving helps her with what she's doing over there. We have a thing we do that we partner with, a group called Power Ministries. It's only for men right now where uh, one week out of the year, the Texas-Mexico border they help on both sides of the border with churches, orphanages, prisons, hospitals, and go and do that kind of thing. We'll get the word out to you guys about that uh, as, as that gets closer. That's one way to be involved, mercy ministries. Number two, care ministry here at Crosspoint. This is where I'm going to unabashedly, unashamedly tell you, give to support people who our church helps and supports. People come into our church who are part of our church who need help. Sometimes people who are outside the walls of our church need help. And somebody said, that church over there is kind of weird, generous about stuff. Maybe they'll help you out too with this. This is things like, oh, over the last year, every year we give thousands of dollars to help people pay rent, 
groceries, utilities, medical bills, diapers, um, vehicle repairs, counseling services, all that and more. That comes out of what we call our care ministry fund. Old school churches would call this the benevolence fund. Where you go, hey, here's over here another pocket of money that we need to set aside for that. So if you're blessed in your life and you have some extra there or you feel like God's calling you to that, take part of your giving there and make sure you're giving it there as well. What we're going to do here in, uh, like Grant just talked to us about, in number three is go bags. In, in the first Sunday uh, weekend in October, we're going to make some go bags here. You're going to collect supplies now for the next month. Every weekend, I want you to bring crates of this stuff. Bring, I know ladies are carrying smaller purses again. It used to be for a while, ladies carry big purses because you could sneak food into the movie theater. I knew that because we would do it all the time. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. But bring a backpack. Bring, and what we need here, guys, is clean socks, not your kids use dirty ones. <laughs> clean socks, um, toothpaste and toothbrushes, chapstick, Hairbrushes and combs, snack, food kind of thing, sometimes even little gift cards can go in there, and chapstick. We'll get this list out to you. It'll be out there. We're going to be bins out there. We're going to collect these for the next four weeks. Our student ministries were the edge of this, the leading edge of this, because for years they've done this thing called Socktober, where they collect socks for the homeless around us and then the homeless down at Regen Church that we partnered with down in Ocean Beach. We came up with this list not because we came up with this. We have people who are experts in working with homeless people. And they said these are the five or six key things that homeless people tell us all the time that are most helpful to them. And then when you're going to make these go bags, these go bags are not going to go to some homeless ministry. You know what's going to, where they're going to go? To your car and your trunk. So that when you come across a homeless person, instead of just giving them money for something, that who knows how they're going to use it, being shrewd as serpents, Innocent as doves, you give them this. And maybe on your own, you throw a, a gift card in there to a fast food restaurant or something like that. Give this to you. And there's a great way you can even model this for your kids as you do this. Is when you see this going on out there, you can show them what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Guys, we do this here at Crosspoint as the band comes up right now. We don't do this to earn God's grace. We do this because we've been given God's grace. Here's the crazy thing. Every bit of your sin and your rebellion had a huge price to it. And you didn't deserve one bit of God's love or grace or mercy. And God gave it to you. Look at me for a second. God gave it to you knowing that, what? 10 minutes after you yield your life to Christ, or 10 minutes or 10 days after you go, okay, I'm done with that sin, that stupid sin that keeps kicking my butt over and over and over again. God, I repent. I'm done with it. You know what's going to happen again 10 minutes, 10 days from then? I'm going to do it again. And if God's like us, like these people over here on this side of the pool, like, pfft. until you get your act together, I'm not going to help you anymore. God goes, just keep coming to me. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And guys, here's the crazy thing about grace. Some of us even sin knowing that God's got to forgive us because he said he would. We'll indulge in sin and foolishness. We'll go, well, because I just believe Jesus forgive me, so I guess I can be a little naughty on Friday or Saturday night or Thursday afternoon. That's a bad thing. And again, Jesus says, but you repented that sin and come back to me. Even when you did it on purpose, forgiveness is there, which is why we extend grace to people 
helping people that show up in our world all the time. And we're going to sing a song, a couple of songs today. Um, break my heart for what breaks yours. To see the world the way God wants us to see it is not to see hurting people, but Jesus sitting right there. It's Jesus sitting right there. And then there's a, a, a song too. Open the eyes of my heart, God. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And Jesus goes, I'm standing right here. In thousands of ways that you're just blown by all the time. Hope and prayer today, guys, you've been encouraged on this to keep doing what you're doing. Get better and better and better at it. Come and receive prayer today. Our prayer team is in the back of the house. Is anything going on in your life and you pray for? Uh, we're gonna have, we have communion available in the four corners of the room. What is talked about, that God forgives us even when we do it on purpose. Even when you make a mess on purpose, forgiveness is always available. So Jesus, today we remember you, we celebrate you, we sing to you. We take this bread and juice, eating and drinking that to remember what you did for us so long ago. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.